All right, guys. What's going on? How are we doing, D-Town? Come on. Come on. I know you guys are excited to be here. I know some of your small group leaders are ready to go to bed here pretty soon. Uh, but uh, I'm excited that y'all are here. If we haven't met before, my name is Jonathan Linder. I am the Wake Director, so I get to hang out with all the 6th through 8th graders in the room on a weekly basis. And it is a huge privilege and blessing. But if we haven't met before, as I said, I want to give you a quick introduction to even a little bit more about me and my family. So I got a picture here of my wife, Lennon, and our daughter, Lucy. Um, and we actually have a son coming in a month and a half. So <laughs> praise God. That's super exciting. Um, guys, before we really dive into tonight's message, I even want to kind of stop and just even share with you guys our heart for this weekend. Why is this weekend and our theme called More Than a Weekend? You heard a little bit from Jermaine. You heard Andy talk about it, right? Our heart for you this weekend is that D-Town and that this weekend wouldn't just be a weekend or a spiritual high, or just a moment for you where you leave motivated and encouraged, but then you turn right back to all the things that the world has to offer. Our heart is that this weekend would not just be a mountaintop moment, but would lead to a changed heart, and ultimately, a life that is fully set on following Jesus. And so that is why this weekend we are calling, and our theme is more than a weekend. With that being said, I kind of want to start tonight by sharing with you guys a quick story. Uh, now, a lot of my time is spent by uh, hanging out with my family, but when I was in middle school, high school, and college, uh, not a ton of people know this, or maybe you do, but something that I love to do with a lot of my time was to fish. And actually, uh, when I got to college, I fished at Dallas Baptist University on our bass fishing team. Yes, it is a real thing. Uh, I got a picture here, I think, as well of uh, me and my time fishing at DBU. So not a ton of people know this, but uh, I did fish at DBU, and one of my claims to fame was that I qualified for the Bass Fishing National Championship, right? That's a real thing. And uh, what also a lot of people don't know, though, is that in the National Championship, I actually tied for last place. Uh, so out of 200 and, yeah, thank you, out of 213 or so people, uh, I tied for 213th place. So that was definitely a low moment for me in my fishing career. But I want to share with you guys tonight another low moment for me in my fishing career. And it came my senior year of high school. So my senior year of high school, uh, I'm excited, I love fishing, and I'm going to take a few friends out to this pond, and it is going to be kind of the way that I just kind of flex. I'm like, I'm pretty good at fishing, I know a lot about it. I'm going to go out to this pond and take a few friends fishing, and a couple of them are girls. And so I'm just going to impress them. We're going to catch a few fish. <laughs> well, we go out and we fish. And honestly, it didn't go that great. As the night goes on, we didn't catch a ton of fish. And so the sun's going down, it's getting late, and I'm like, man, I am bummed. Like, this was not the flex that I was hoping that it would be. And so we're getting ready to go, and I had been fishing all night with... Uh, this thing, it's called a popper. And maybe you've seen one before, but it's just this little bitty fishing lure. And basically you just pop it along the top of the water and you hope that a little fish or a bass will come out of the water or a big one uh, and come and hold it very still, uh, come and eat this lure. And so I'm fishing with this popper along the top of the water and I'm getting ready to go. But again, the sun's setting, so it's pretty dark outside. It's, it's basically pitch black. And I had uh, been fishing with it, and when I get pretty close to the bank, I'd pop it out of the water, reel it up, and then I'd make another cast. And so I'm getting ready to go again, like last cast, and I pop it out of the water to reel it back up and to make one more cast. And as I pop it out of the water, 
I can hear it flying through the air, but there's one problem, and the problem is it's so dark outside, I can no longer see this fishing lure flying through the air. And so then, in a quick second, this fishing lure hits me in the face. And another problem is that this fishing lure did not fall to the ground. It stayed attached to my face. Uh, and so, yeah, you may not, I was gonna give you a heads up for that, but uh, if you don't like that kind of thing, uh, there is a picture. I did lodge this fishing lure directly into my lip and had to be taken to the ER uh, as I couldn't pull that out. I had actually hooked myself past, there's a little thing on a fishing hook, it's called a barb. And that basically just keeps that hook from coming out of a fish's mouth. I had hooked myself in the lip past the barb. So I had to go to the ER and they had to push that fishing hook out through my lip, cut off the barb, and then they could finally take it out. So that was a low moment for me in my fishing career. And I learned a very, very valuable lesson uh, that night. And the lesson that I learned was that lures, fishing lures, are very dangerous, and that lures are dangerous. And they can leave you uh, with a lot of pain and a lot of scars. And I start there tonight because I think one of the greatest dangers for you in middle school and high school is to give your life to something that promises joy, freedom, and life, but that ultimately will leave you with less joy and more scars. That you would give your life to a lure, to something, again, that promises satisfaction, but ultimately leaves you with scars. Right? And the same is true for uh, the idols in this world. In the same way that lures are dangerous, the idols of this world can be those lures for us, that we give our life to these different things, thinking this will satisfy the longings and desires of my heart. And so it is true that we must be aware and alert and, and thoughtful about the things that we are giving our lives to. And so whether you're here in the room and uh, this is, you know, your seventh D-town, you've been coming, you go to church, you read your Bible, you pray occasionally, or you're in this room and you don't know God. You were invited by a friend to D-town and you're just excited to be here. You came for the, maybe the concert or just the fun things and you're kind of like, man, I, I, I like, you know, going to occasionally uh, things that happen at church, but I'm really not about following God with my life. Whatever uh, end of that spectrum you are on, I hope and pray, and I think that our main point of tonight's message is true for both of you. And the bottom line for tonight's message is this, that you will continually find yourself empty, discouraged, and joyless if you look to the wrong things to save you and satisfy you. You will continually find yourself empty, discouraged, and joyless if you look to the wrong things to save you and to satisfy you. And so tonight, if you're taking notes, we're gonna have three points as we talk about who your savior is and what ultimately satisfies the deepest desires of your hearts. And those three points are this. Everyone needs a savior. Everyone needs a savior. Only one savior satisfies, and our savior is Jesus. Those are our three points tonight. And so we're gonna study two different characters in scripture, and we're going to see those three things come to life as we study these two characters. And the characters, I'm going to introduce them to you. We have a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee, right? And his, that just means his job was to follow God, study his word, and give his life to God's law, right? There were 613 Jewish laws or old, laws in the Old Testament at the time, and Pharisees, their job was to follow all 613 of them, live them out perfectly, and enforce them amongst all the Jewish people. 
right? Nicodemus, he really thought that he had everything figured out because he followed all of these rules. And then the other character that we're going to look at tonight is going to be, we don't have a name for her, but she's just known as the woman at the well. The woman at the well. And the reason that she's called the woman at the well is because Jesus comes up and has a conversation with her at this well in Samaria. And what we know about the woman at the well is that she was an outcast from society. She worshiped false gods. She was angry at God and lived in continual sin. And so we have these two characters, and if we have a spectrum of good uh, versus bad, right, on one end you have Nicodemus who followed all of these rules, gave his life to studying God's word, uh, memorizing it, living it out every single day, and then on the other end you have this woman who's given her life to everything that the world's offered. And again, I think we're going to see that the same thing is true for both of them. We're both going to see that in both of their lives they were left empty discouraged and joyless as they chased after the wrong thing and they missed their savior. So if you have a Bible tonight, we're going to start in John chapter three, and we're going to look at the life of Nicodemus. We're going to start in John chapter three, verse one. And as we read this story, we're going to see our first point come true tonight. We're going to see that everyone needs a savior. And so I'm going to start reading in John chapter three. The verses will also be on the screen. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So we pause there, right? We get Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus by night. Text doesn't specifically say why, but maybe he doesn't want to be seen by all the other people or the Pharisees. Maybe he just wants some alone time with Jesus. But Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night and he wants to have this conversation with Jesus. And he starts by saying, we, right? Me and the other Pharisees, right? We know and have noticed you performing all of these miracles. And so we, we kind of know who you are. We know that you have some sort of a connection from, to God because you wouldn't be able to do these things unless you had a connection to God. But can you just explain to us like how you're doing all of these awesome miracles? And in verse three, Jesus answers, answers him and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this is a pretty confusing response to me. Right, Jesus, he really cuts Nicodemus off here and he, he says, man, unless someone is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. Why do you think Jesus responded that way? Right, I think based on how Nicodemus starts the conversation with Jesus, Nicodemus makes one big assumption and that assumption is that he knows who Jesus is. Right, he, he thinks man, I know exactly who you are. You're doing all of these good things. You're a good man. You perform miracles like you're a leader. I, I see that. And he assumes that he knows who Jesus is. And so Nicodemus is really confused. And so Jesus goes on in verse, or Nicodemus responds to him because he's confused in verse four. And he says to him, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answers him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so Jesus really gives Nicodemus a similar answer as he's really confused. Like, man, does that mean I have to literally be born again? I hope not. I'm a really old guy. And so I don't understand what you're really saying here, Jesus. And Jesus basically says the same thing again. He says, you must be born again of water and the spirit in order to see the kingdom of God. And so again, I think it begs the question, why does Jesus respond to Nicodemus this way? And I think the thing that stands out to me here as we read this story is that Nicodemus, 
He knew who Jesus was, but he didn't know him as his savior, right? And so what Jesus is really saying to Nicodemus here, he's saying, hey, unless you are given new eyes, unless you're given a new perspective, unless you you really understand who I am, that I'm not just some good guy, but I am the savior of this world, unless you understand the gospel, then you will miss me completely, right? You might know my name, you might know who I am, but you will not know me at all if you do not know me as your savior and as the savior of the world. Right, and that idea, as Jesus even tells Nicodemus, he says, hey, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. That can be a confusing thing. That can be a a confusing idea. And so even Paul, I wanna uh, use Paul's uh, text and, and he writes a letter to Titus and he, he talks about that idea of new birth. And in Titus 3 specifically, I want to read you a couple verses. But again, this is Paul writing to Titus. He says, at one time we were too foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. This is really similar to Romans 3.23. And if you've been around church, you might have heard that verse before. But it just says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right, and so Paul's saying the same thing. Like, hey, at one time in our lives, we were foolish, disobedient. We chased after everything that the world had to offer. We are all broken. Every single person in this world is broken. But then he says this in verse four, but then the kindness and love of our God, our savior appeared. He saved us not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And there you go, you see that word rebirth, right? Given a new spiritual life. And if you are in Christ, right, he says, you are given a new life. Once we say when we baptize people that you're buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in a new life, that man, if I, if I truly believe that Christ is my savior, that I turn away from all the sins and the things of this world that I've been living in and giving my life to, that I was foolish and disobedient and that I thought I knew what was best, but that I'm given new life. That's exactly what 2 Corinthians 5 talks about. It says, we are a new creation. And that is what Jesus is getting at here with Nicodemus, right? You see that idea of new birth and a new life. And this is what Nicodemus missed. He did not see his need for a new life and for a savior, for undeserved mercy. And what's so crazy to me about this is that Jesus, right? He's saying this to a man who's devoted his entire life to knowing God. He's saying this to a man who's given his entire life to following God's word perfectly. Right? And so the lure that, that Nicodemus really fell into was thinking that he could earn his way into heaven, that his good works were good enough to be his own personal savior, right? Nicodemus had more Bible than anyone in this room memorized. He prayed more than anyone here. He went to church more often than anyone here. He did all of the right things and went through all of the right motions, but he missed who Jesus was because he did not know him as his savior. And it is a dangerous trap, right, to buy the lie that your good works can get you into heaven. And so I wonder, I wonder if there is anyone in this room that has bought that same lie, right? Because you've grown up around this. You've gone to D-Town, you go to small group, you, you go through all of the motions that come with going up and showing up to church week after week after week. 
but I wonder if there are people in this room that have gone through all of the spiritual motions but that truly don't know Christ as their savior. And I also wonder that because that is a big part of my story. Right, when I was in middle school and high school, I, I, I went to church week after week, I did all of the small group things, but I didn't really know or have a relationship with Jesus. Honestly, if anything, my relationship with God was fire insurance at best. Right? It was a way that, okay, I know that I get out of hell if I, if I follow God and then I give my life to him and I make this one-time decision, but I'm gonna kind of figure out the rest of my life on my own. And so my Bible, it sat on my nightstand. Honestly, my Bible was just a place where I charged my phone at night. I'd pick it up if I was having a hard day or, uh, man, if I really needed to, you know, felt like I needed to spend time with God, which was very rarely or occasionally. And then I'd just kind of flip it open to a random page and I'd be like, all right, God, like, what do you have for me? I had no relationship, continual relationship with God. I missed him as my savior. And just like Nicodemus, I struggled with pride, self-righteousness, legalism. And I wonder, is there anyone in this room that can find themselves in that same place? Right, if you miss the fact that your good works and that doing all of the right things will not earn you a place in heaven, then I think you have a danger of missing Jesus completely. If you think, man, just because I'm a good enough person, I do all of the right things, I check all of the boxes, then I'm just gonna be good enough. That is a lure and a danger and a trap that we can all fall into. And so I'd ask you this question tonight. Hey, are you Nicodemus? Right? Do you see or find yourself in a place where I just do all of the right things, but internally it really makes no difference to me? And so in summary, we see from the life of Nicodemus that even the most holy person in the world needed a savior. And we see the truth of Titus 3.3 and Romans 3.23. So we know that everyone needs a savior. No matter how many good things you do on a weekly basis, they will not earn your way into heaven. They are not bad things, but they must be a response. Our spiritual disciplines must be a response to the gospel, not a way to earn the gospel. And so we see that everyone needs a savior. Right, so now we're gonna jump a few verses forward. We're gonna have a look at a different character. As we mentioned, the woman at the well. And so you can flip over just one chapter because not shortly after Jesus has this conversation with Nicodemus, he goes and then has this conversation with this woman at the well. He meets this woman at the well in Samaria. And so in John chapter four, we're gonna look at the life of the woman at the well and we're gonna see the second point to be true, that only one savior satisfies. Everyone needs a savior and only one savior satisfies satisfies. And so on, on uh, Jesus' way through Samaria, right, he leaves Nicodemus and he has a couple other conversations in John 3 and then he goes. And on his way through Samaria, he stops at a well and has a conversation with this woman. And so we pick up the story in verse 7 of chapter 4 and it says this, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. 
So we pause there again. Jesus asks this woman for a drink of water and she is shook. She's like, what in the world? Why would you have this conversation with me and ask me for a drink of water? And there's a couple reasons why she is so shocked by Jesus initiating this conversation with her, right? One of the reasons is that because of their race, right? Samaritans were half Jewish. They, they really uh, weren't full Jewish. And if you were fully Jewish, you were like, hey, you're either fully Jewish or you're not. And so we don't really like people who aren't fully Jewish, Right, because of their religion, Samaritans, they kind of took a little bit of God and a little bit of other gods and they kind of mixed them together and they're like, we'll just kind of piece together our religion and we'll take a little bit of God and a little bit of other things and Jews didn't really like that. And then lastly, right, gender. Men did not have conversations with women in public back then in this culture. And so Jesus, just by even initiating a conversation, before he's even said anything meaningful, he has already said so much just by opening his mouth and starting a conversation with this woman. And as a side note, we even see here the character of God, right? That God's character is one that he wants to initiate on our behalf to show his love and his kindness and his uh, continual intentionality to see us in the midst of our brokenness, to step over all of the barriers and challenges that come in this world to go, man, I see you and I love you and I want to have a relationship with you. And so in verse 10, Jesus responds to her and he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Well, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw uh, water with and this well is deep. Where can you get this living water? And so much like Nicodemus, the woman at the well, she's really confused. She's like, hey, Jesus, you actually don't even have a bucket. I hear you talking about living water. You've got really long arms, but I just don't think you're going to be able to reach down and scoop up enough water from this well. And so I'm pretty confused about what you're talking about here. Right? And so then Jesus clarifies. He's like, hey, I'm going to show you exactly what I'm talking about because I am not talking about the water that comes from that well. So he says this, he answers her and he says, everyone who drinks this water again will be thirsty, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. He says, indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus makes it clear again, the water that he's talking about, he says it leads you to one place and that place is eternal life. I'm not talking about physical water. I'm not talking about a well. I'm talking about living water that leads you to eternal life. Right, and so Jesus goes on in this conversation with this woman and he, and he tells her, he says, hey, go, go and call your husband. And she says to him, she's like, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus goes, yeah, you're actually right. You've had five husbands. And the man that you're staying with right now is also not your husband. And he actually calls out the water that she's been giving her life to, the things that she's been looking to for satisfaction and purpose in this world. Right, so he calls out the water that she's been drinking and the lure really that the woman at the well fell into was thinking that her sin kept her from God. That because of who she was, that God didn't want a relationship with her and so she ran after all the things that the world had to offer, right? She'd been looking for affirmation. And the wells of the world had left her empty, alone, and ashamed. And so Jesus says, everyone who drinks from the water that the world offers, they will be thirsty again, but I will give them something that lasts forever. Right, I'll give you something that doesn't lead to guilt, to shame, or to bitterness and brokenness. I'll give you something that leads to lasting joy, 
not only in eternity, but also lasting joy that can uh, be sustained through every trial and thing that you face in this life. And so as a side note here, I just have a quick confession to make with you guys. As we're talking about water a lot, my confession is this. Uh, I actually really don't like water, right? So people who know me well, they know that I don't like to drink water. I was given a Stanley last year for Christmas. I don't know if anyone in this room has a Stanley, but it takes me weeks. It takes me weeks to finish a Stanley. And uh, who knows, my Stanley might even be giving me lead poisoning right now. I don't know, that's just a side thing, but it takes me weeks to finish my Stanley. But a couple weeks ago, my wife bought these things called liquid IV. They're these little packets, right, at Costco. They're awesome. And so she, she bought me these liquid IV packets and I started drinking like two or three Stanleys a day. These things were incredible, right? They're, they're supposed to make your water even more hydrating for you. I don't think that's possible, but I believe the packaging and they tasted really good probably because they have a ton of sugar in them. But liquid IV, it made it great, right? And, and I think, uh, honestly, America is with me on this, right? Because I don't know if you knew this, but uh, in 2022, the flavored water market, things that we do to make our water taste differently, it was valued at $17.2 billion, right? And so we have all of these things designed to make water not taste like water. Right, so we've got sparkling water, we've got liquid IV, Mio, we've got prime watering uh, flavoring packets. They've got scented water bottles. I didn't know this was a thing, but they've got these water bottles that when you drink them, there's a little scent at the top and you're supposed to smell this scent and it's supposed to trick your brain into thinking that your water is really flavored. I don't think that also works, but who knows? I, I haven't tried it. Right, and so as a country, we have grown tired and numb to the taste of water. Right, and in order for me to desire water, I need it to be flavored. But here's the connection. I think that we do the same thing with spiritual water. Right, we think, man, a relationship with Jesus, going to church every week, showing up, going to small group, reading my Bible, praying, those all sound great. But they sound like just regular water. I don't know if that actually would be a really great place to find true life and satisfaction and value. And so I'm going to actually go and, and I'm going to do all of those things, but I'm going to kind of flavor it. So I'm going to take a little bit of some of the things that the world has to offer, not a ton. So I'm going to put one foot in this uh, area and I'm going to kind of do all of the right things, but I'm also going to take one foot and I'm going to put over here just to make sure that I get some of that flavoring because life is really found when you chase after some of these other different things. And so we go off and we look for this water. So I have a couple other waters up here tonight. We have all of these different waters here and maybe you can see these, maybe you can't. So we've got, right, we've got grades. We've got popularity, sports, video games, social media, relationships, right? So we've got all of these different waters, right? Okay, I know they, they look like real waters. That's kind of the whole thing, but we've got all of these different waters and we kind of give our life to them and we go, okay, man, like, Regular water, regular spiritual water, it just doesn't satisfy the deepest longings and desires of my heart. I know it's supposed to. I'm going to go through all the motions, but really, I'm going to go and find my own water. And so we start to drink from these other things that the world has to offer, and we think, man, this will truly satisfy. But the problem with all of these waters here is that they actually don't satisfy the longings of your heart. 
And for a lot of us, we've kind of tasted some of these and we realize that they don't satisfy the longings of our heart. But here's most of our responses, right? We, we, we chase after, you know, popularity and we go, okay, man, if I can just get this many people to pay attention to me, to notice me, if I can just be in this group text or this friend group or Snapchat these people, then that will be the thing that satisfies my heart. But then maybe you get that or you don't and you go, man, that actually didn't satisfy my heart. But instead of turning from those things and going, you know what, that didn't satisfy me, I'm done with it. Instead, we double down on them. And we go, you know what, I just need more. If I just had more popularity, if people thought even higher of me, then that must be the thing that truly satisfies. If I just played even better at sports, if I made better grades, if I just spent more time giving my life to this, this thing, I must just need to do it more. I must need to drink more of that water in order for it to truly satisfy the deepest longings and desires of my heart. But then we come to weekends like this, where we go to small group, where we pray, we read our Bibles, right? And we're met with conviction. And that conviction looks like a moment where God in his kindness shows you and he tells you, hey, the things you've been giving your life to, they don't satisfy your heart. But I think a lot of us in those moments of conviction, we met with a couple different responses. And I think for some of us, our response is, you're met with this conviction to go, man, I, I truly know and I've realized that, man, sports, it, it just doesn't satisfy, but we actually grip tighter and we hold on even more and we go, God, please, please, please don't take my water. Like it's the only thing that I have is, is sports and people knowing me as the person that plays this sport or that, that scores this many points a game or that has a reputation based off of how well I perform. Like, please, I'm just gonna hold out even tighter. I'm actually just not gonna let go of that. I know that I'm supposed to. I know that no life's found there, but I'm not gonna let go of it. And so we end up gripping tighter onto the things that the world has to offer or your response is one where you kind of start to play this game with God. And this game kind of goes like this, where, where you have all these different things and you go, okay, God, I, I know that these don't satisfy. I know that I shouldn't give my life to them, but I'll give you, you know, I'll give you video games. I don't need to play them. I don't even enjoy them that much. I'll give you sports. Like, that's fine. Popularity, I don't need to be popular. But God, like, I can't give you my relationship. Like I have to date that guy or this girl, man. That's the only way that I truly find a little bit of identity or I find a little bit of satisfaction. That's the only way is if, man, if I, if I just wear these clothes and people notice me for the things that I do or wear or say, man, God, I can't give you that one. I'll give you everything else, but man, I, I can't give you relationships. And I don't know what it is for you. I don't know if even one of these waters up here is the thing that you struggle with the most but I wonder if you have those things in your life that you've started to make this deal with God where you go, hey, I'll, I'll give you most of my life, but I won't give you all of my life. I'll give you most of the things that satisfy, that I turn and, and I look to to satisfy my heart, but I won't give you all of them. And if that is you, if you find yourself in the place where you just grip tighter and tighter and tighter onto the things of this world, or you start to make this uh, trade with God where you go, man, I just can't give up this one thing because it, it's all that I have. The verse that I'd point you to is Jonah 2.8, which just says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Right? You cannot hold on to the promises 
and the joy and the love that God has for you and also turn your back on him and chase after something else, right? Because if you cling so closely to all of these worthless idols, you cannot also hold on to the love and the joy and the satisfaction that God has for you. Jesus says this in Luke 9. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses or he forfeits himself? Right, what if, what if the very thing that you are clinging on to so closely to save your life is actually costing you your life? Because if it's anything outside of a relationship with Jesus, it will do just that. You may think that if I just grip tighter and tighter and I, and I make this deal with God and I just hold on to this little piece and I don't tell anyone about it and I, and I don't need to confess that and I don't need to have a conversation with someone and every time I'm met with conviction, I'm just gonna kind of put this wall up. What if that very response is the thing that is costing you your life. Are we willing to give up the things that we turn to, that we chase after on a daily basis to find joy and satisfaction? Right, and so in order for this to be more than a weekend for you, you must make a choice, right? Are you willing to sacrifice the idols, to be met with that conviction, to be met with that moment of going, man, I, I realize that the very thing that I've been giving my life to is worthless. And in order for this to be more than a weekend for you, you are faced with a choice. So in summary, we see that the life of the woman at the well, it teaches us that only one savior satisfies. Everyone in this room, everyone in this entire world, we all need a savior, but only one savior satisfies. And what I love about both of these stories, the woman at the well and Nicodemus, we see that Jesus really has a similar response to both of them. Right on the surface, they look very, very different. Right? Nicodemus is Pharisee, one of the highest spiritual leaders, best teachers. He had the Old Testament memorized. He created more rules on top of the rules to be the best follower of God. He missed it because he thought he could earn his way to heaven. And then you got the woman at the well who chased after, again, all the things, lived in continual sin, worshiped false gods. She missed it. And so these stories, they look very different, but da deep down we see the need is the same. That Jesus responds to both of them with truth and love. And so the last point that we're gonna see tonight from Jesus' response is that our savior is Jesus. Everyone needs a savior. Only one savior satisfies and our savior is Jesus. So Nicodemus, he, he asked Jesus at the end of their conversation in verse nine, he's again, just pretty confused by all the things that Jesus is saying. And, and he just says to him in, in verse nine of chapter three, he says, well, how can these things be? Right? How can it be that man can be born again and that, that they can give their life to you and that you're the savior of the world? Like, how can this be? And Jesus, a few verses later, he wraps up his conversation with Nicodemus by responding in verse 16. And he says to him, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son 
and that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but then in order that the world might be saved through him. And so our savior is Jesus. God sent his son to live a perfect life because we're separated in our sin because Titus 3.3 and Romans 3.23 is true for all of us in this room. And that, that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life on this earth to be crucified on a cross, to be buried in the ground, and three days later to be raised to walk again and live so that he conquered sin and death, so that we might be able to be in relationship and spend eternity with God. Our Savior is Jesus. He's the only thing that satisfies, and we all need a Savior, and we're all longing for something to satisfy our hearts. And so how is it possible, as we wrap up tonight's message, how is it possible for this to be more than a weekend for you? How is it possible for you not to get caught up in all the lures and the traps and all the things that this world has to offer? Hebrews 12 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked before us. Does that sound like something you desire? Man, I deeply desire to throw off all of these things that I've been chasing. I, I just desire, I know they don't satisfy me. I, I want to get rid of them. I want to run with perseverance the race that is set before me. Is that you tonight? Well, the answer is simple. How do you do that? Verse two of Hebrews 12 says, by fixing your eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning the shame that he set down at the right hand of the throne of God, right? If you leave tonight, and you don't just say, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better. I'm going to make sure that I just, I, I, I'm, this is the time I'm, I'm really done with it all. And if you leave tonight and you go, man, I actually can't. Like, I can't try harder and do better and lay off all of the sin. The only way that we lay off the sin is by fixing our eyes on the only one who is perfect. And that is our Savior, Jesus Christ. And there will be moments where we still run back to the things that this world offers. But instead of being met with shame and disappointment, we're met with freedom and confession and in studying God's word and being in a relationship with him where, man, even if we do turn back to the things that our hearts so easily chase, that we do it with God by fixing our eyes on him. And so here in a second, we're gonna get a chance to respond. We're gonna get a chance to respond and there's gonna be a cross up here on the screen. And my hope is that as we worship tonight and that as we respond, that you would fix your eyes on that cross. And that it wouldn't just be a thing where you stand up and you go, hey, I'm gonna read these words on this screen. I'm gonna say the right things. I'm gonna go home, my host home, and I'm gonna enjoy the rest of the weekend. But that if tonight, you truly want to make a decision where you go, man, I'm, I'm done with the, what the world has to offer. I realize and I see my need for a savior and I realize and I see that only one thing satisfies me and that is Jesus. 
And so I would challenge you to fix your eyes on the cross, to know that God wants to have a relationship with you. And the way that we do that is through his son, Jesus. And so I would tell you, everyone needs a savior. Only one savior satisfies and our savior is Jesus. And now we have a chance to respond by fixing our eyes on the founder and perfecter of our faith. Let's pray.